is episode 161 of the A News podcast, covering anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on Anarchist News. It's designed to be useful to anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary, anarchistnews.org. We're back. What's new this week? Revolutionary abolitionist movement call for autonomous action on May Day from anarchists worldwide. Of course, by the time you hear this, you will have already decided and acted on your May Day plans. Probably you did exactly what RAM wanted you to do, and we're now in some excellent post-rebellion afterglow. Well, this call from RAM does the classic leftist thing of complaining that the government is not doing its job, which makes their vision sort of confusing for this anarchist. Quote, so for this year, we are calling for revolutionaries around the world to take creative autonomous action and begin exposing the institutions and individuals who are responsible for the increasingly desperate situation we all find ourselves in today, unquote. So RAM is going anti-civ now? Or are anti-authoritarians once again fixating on individuals when the problems are systemic? Oh, never mind. It's just RAM being RAM. Let them have their fun. No, we didn't get the wrong target. Social or not, death to the state! <clears throat> from Anarchists Worldwide. Can I just say, this is my kind of communique. Spirited, unmysterious, and educational without giving it all away. Yay for people using this time to fuck shit up. Quote, Today as yesterday, we want to attack all the components of this civilization that are accessible to us, from the most militarized to the most social, and this confinement will not prevent us from continuing our outdoor activities, whether it is a daytime walk to spot a target or a nighttime stroll to set fire to it. P.S. This action is nothing extraordinary. Without wanting to go into details so as not to feed the research of the shitty investigators, everything that was used in this little trip can be found in all the big supermarkets. It doesn't need much, a bit of rage, a bit of spotting, a packet of precautions, and another one of fuel, unquote. Also, the title is funny. Yay, funny. Anarchists Against Freedom, from Anarchist Network 23, whatever that is, by Paul Kudinek, whoever he is. If people can remember back two or three weeks, this podcast raised the issue of too many anarchists focusing on individualists, as in other anarchists, rather than the increasing crackdown that comes with any increase in people's dependence on government intervention in order to survive. While I didn't research Kudinek, and the beginning of this piece I would say overemphasizes the ultimate goodness of liberty and or freedom, his argument on the face of it is solid. Even if you believe most of the information you get from state actors and mainstream media sources, which most of us has learned is not a good idea, surely we should still be skeptical about what they say the only solutions are, right? Quote, what happened to question everything? It is not possible to build a critique of oppression without being prepared to challenge the assumptions used to justify that oppression. The anarchist argument about collective responsibility, when transplanted into the soil of deceit, grows upside down. The logic that should require people to act for the common good is reversed and serves to instead condemn those who are acting for the common good and trying to expose the fraud. The second level of my disagreement with these critics concerns their ideological interpretation of responsibility and freedom. Part of this confusion surrounding the term responsibility arises from the manner in which it is abused to serve certain purposes that is often conflated with the notion of conformity or obedience not to the interests of the collectivity, but to an entity which is passing itself off as representing those interests, unquote. I agree that anarchists who talk to strangers about responsibility are empty talkers unless they explain how what they are touting as responsible is in fact desirable, especially in light of anarchist principles. And Kudinek's rejection of group versus individual is also well put. 
also lots of they live images. So let's wear our sunglasses, people. Anarchism, plain and neo-Prudonian, from the Libertarian Labyrinth. Translator, historian, and author Sean continues his explanation slash exploration of the writing and thinking process for his latest book entitled Our Lost Continent and the Journey Back. In this episode of the continuing adventures of our author, he reflects the following, quote, among the lessons that I at least believe strongly I have learned in the course of the outbound journey, probably the most important and perhaps most controversial is this. A distinct anarchy-centered anarchism is not just possible, but necessary if we are to confront the systemic challenges facing us and that anarchism seems likely, if seriously pursued, to be adequate to the task, unquote. To which I can only say that an optimistic anarchist historian is a fucking joy to behold. Now and After, from Anarchist Writers by Reddest of Anarchists, Anarcho. He continues to be semi-appealing in his desire to be rigorous and to apply his anarchist ideas to the world and his imagination, and to be off-putting to the extent that the world and his imagination is so reduced. While his references are all old bearded anarchists plus Emma, and the quotes are full of man this and mankind that, there's an argument that focusing on that is getting stuck on stylistic details, not substantive ones, and that taking it back to the fundamentals is worth the stretch for more modern readers. On the other hand, trying to make that argument for someone as red as anarcho might be a losing battle. Quote, so economic liberty means self-management in the workplace, industrial democracy. But just as no man is an island, so no workplace is self-sufficient. What would be the relations between associations? Different libertarian socialist schools of thought have different ideas on the subject. All, however, have a common basis in self-management, use rights. As Noam Chomsky said, a consistent anarchist must oppose private ownership of the means of production and the wage slavery, which is a component of this system. And all see the need for an agro-industrial federation for regulation, cooperation, and mutual support, as well as free agreement, contracts, between self-managed workplaces, unquote. Oh, dear. May Day 2020 from CrimeThink, who, when they don't have a title with clever wordplay, fall back on their policy to generalize and own things. Subheadings, we are the shutdown. So, see what I mean? They also are sometimes fun and creative. Here they introduce an activist bingo game of actions possible during this time, and announce a national strike, always a good idea, and May 1st actions, etc. Quote, we make the economy, we can shut it down, unquote. Yep, what's that line about we again? Oh, never mind, it's crime thing, let them have their fun. You're just letting everyone have their fun this week. I am. I'm, you know, it's nice to be back. Fire Ant number six released from Bloomington, ABC. Fire Ant has been around for years now. It's a black and white punk publication. If punk means attending to words rather than layout and prettiness. Quote, Fire Ant is a publication focused on spreading the words of anarchist prisoners and generating material solidarity for our imprisoned friends. Begun as a collaboration between anarchist prisoners and anarchists in Maine, Fire Ant seeks to raise material aid for anarchist prisoners while fostering communication between anarchists on both sides of the walls, unquote. All the issues are linked here, so you can check them out. Support these folks and or write an anarchist prisoner today. Out of the Ruins, an Anarchist Studies Journal Review by Judith Suisa, a review from Anarchist Studies Journal of a book put out by PM Press entitled Out of the Ruins, The Emergence of Radical Informal Learning Spaces. The reviewer calls out this book for an almost total exclusion of conversation about children, a significant lack in any book on education that could have been easily addressed by being specific in the title or subtitle of the book. I personally am irritated that the subtitle talks about the emergence, as if anarchists and other radicals haven't been doing alternatives 
to state education programs for multiple decades, mm-hmm. most notably the Ferrer schools, but even the anarchist started but now liberal nonprofit school called Walden, and many, many free schools. Anyway, the reviewer seems to have mostly written this review to make that one point, but does end with the following paragraph. Quote, In its focus on social movement activism, this chapter more than any other seems to answer the question Howarth, who is one of the editors, poses in the introduction. How can radical, informal learning spaces inform and expand our understandings of current social movements and communities resisting neoliberal capitalism? This question, I would suggest, is an accurate description of this book's focus and of its value, unquote. I choose to read that in the harshest way possible, and so can only say, hey, editors of this book, want some sunscreen? Announcing issue one of Oak, a journal against civilization. From oakjournal.org, a website that tests your capacity to read lavender on white. In the name of a friendlier, more face-to-face eccentric green analysis, which apparently means that they will try not to get embroiled in the nasty relationships of ongoing anti-civ publications. Their most recent sound file, they have four so far on SoundCloud, features a conversation with Catherine Zerzan, among others. So she's certainly the less inflammatory of the Zerzan options. Quote, Since I can remember, there's been unceasing division within the anarchist and anti-civ milieus, both at large and in my immediate experience. It seems we're always knives first, taking aim at the comfortable targets a few degrees away from us. While I'm all for good sparring practice, I believe the connections must remain if we are to survive and thrive. The possibility of maintaining an intimate and dynamic meshwork of communication is real. In the wake of civilized life, finding someone, anyone, who also chooses to reject a dominant paradigm of perpetual nightmare should be exhilarating. Unquote. Absolutely. Good luck. Ecofascism, the rhetoric of the virus, theory and analysis. From Anon, another in a long line of simplistic, binary thinking, name-calling articles that use ecofascism to smear boundaries between groups of thinkers, as well as multiple rhetorical fallacies including slippery slopes and strawmen. Like other authors who throw historical events, ahistorical interpretation, non-sequiturs, and famous names into a mix and try to draw foreboding conclusions, who is that fox guy with the blackboard? Oh yeah, Glenn Beck. This Jay Frazier character tries hard to sound smart and only comes across as incoherent blaming everything on capitalism and nothing on the people, that is, all of us who participate in these ongoing systems. A pre-Foucauldian perspective, unworthy of someone who calls himself even an amateur philosopher. If I were going to quote anything here, it would be some of the on-point comments from Anon, but you can go read them yourself. Technocracy and Pandemics from Scolium. The unnamed author here reviews a book called Pandemic, Tracking Contagions from Cholera to Ebola and Beyond by a science journalist, Sonia Shaw. The review focuses on technology, which is probably the focus of the book as well, just going off the word tracking in the title. The review is worth reading for anyone interested in future trends, current practices, and previous anecdotes, like that the first case of HIV might have been as early as 1959. The reviewer takes shot at task for not factoring in social constructs and for trusting technology too much. Quote, that many of the disease surveillance systems problems can be laid at the feet of voluntary action and lack of general surveillance is worrisome. Shaw's suggestions for improvement don't venture too much into that territory, though she does use the word technocratic in a positive light. She calls for everyone to have affordable health care and for active steps to be taken preventing pandemics before they happen. This means surveillance of hotspots, which are places where epidemics are likely to begin. 
Hotspots include recently encroached wild habitats, wholesale animal markets, pet shops, and slaughterhouses. She also agreeably points out that some U.S. states track the chief complaint of patients arriving in emergency rooms, as well as the sale of thermometers and antivirals, unquote. I hope all our listeners recognize the drawbacks as well as any putative benefits of increased surveillance under the name of public health or whatever the fuck. Anyway, this review is coherent and interesting and seems informed as far as I can tell. The Current Moment in Ireland interview with Andrew Flood from Black Rose Federation. Andrew Flood has been around for a long time and is a member of also longtime Irish group Worker Solidarity Movement. While the UK has its own horribleness as the birthplace of modern colonialism, etc., it doesn't have the rapacious, balls-out capitalism that the US excels at. Perhaps as a reflection of that, among other things, UK organizations frequently seem like they're operating from and in previous centuries. Luckily, it's Black Rose Federation interviewing Flood here, and they've never met a red anarchist they didn't like. The very first question is, quote, The first question I want to ask is if you could discuss the most recent election in Ireland. <clears throat> There's a big surge in support for the political party Sinn Féin. Could you speak more generally about that? Unquote. Flood then answers that in perfectly straightforward electoral talk, and then the second question moves to the exciting controversy of third parties, including the challenge of Bernie Sanders. Because yes, electoral politics are the most compelling way to start any conversation between anarchists or anti-authoritarians or whatever the fuck Black Rose is supposed to be. Maybe Flood's decades of experience leads to some interesting anarchist perspective somewhere in here, but I couldn't find it. He does school the interviewer at one point, but it sounds tired. There's just no joy in it. Sigh. Towards a critique of anti-fascism from Medium by Ausonia Calabrese. Here is a non-1559's response. Quote, With all due respect, and as an instinctive, as opposed to an ideological or organizational anti-fascist, I have to say that you've got it wrong here. As people most often constrained by binary polarities, anti-fascists will always end up tolerating what, to principled anarchists, should never be tolerated. To wit, hierarchical decision-making, militarized tactics, collaboration with any scumbag, tankies, for example, who's also a self-identified anti-fascist. Anti-fascism doesn't fail, it simply is incapable of succeeding, unquote. Enough said, though Sir Einzig, it doesn't entirely suck here either. Pandemic schools and squats in a civil society built on stolen land. From and on by M. Gultoff, an insider criticism of redwashing organizations in general, a group called Red Braid in particular, and confusing autonomous actions with state-sponsored ones. I know of two responses to these kinds of political maneuverings, which will happen whenever and wherever there is social credibility to be sought after and manipulated. One is to double down on whatever indicator of authenticity, in this case, native and or homeless. The other is to de-emphasize the importance of those indicators. Neither is perfect, and it's especially hard to work with both of them at the same time. This piece takes the doubling down path, but tries to make it more nuanced. <clears throat> Quote, it's all reasonable and good if the indigenous members of Red Braid want to feel represented in the organization and have their leadership respected, but this in itself doesn't transform the nature of the group or give non-natives the right to write and speak in the native voice, misleading the public as to who they're actually listening to when they hear Red Braid statements, unquote. This is in the context of the state using an abandoned school building to house new social services for houseless folks. It's worth reading, keeping in mind that none of us have answers to the complicated ways that our histories and individual lives and choices interact with each other, and or just as another in a long, long, long list of politicians trying to gain power using any jargon necessary. 
Chasing Dreams, Fighting Nightmares, from Liminal D. A regular participant on A News submits this invitation to a new world, reminding us that we do know how a better world looks and feels if we remember to make it. Quote, Changing how we organize one of our most basic needs, that of shelter, requires challenging one of the most fundamental concepts our society is based on, the ownership of property. It will take a huge mental shift, but doing so will open up the possibility of everyone having access to a home that is good for both the planet and the soul. I get up, eager to make the most of the daylight and sunshine. As I make my way through the tree-lined streets to the garden, I graze on the raspberries, black currants, and fresh peas that are just some of the food growing along the way. People are cycling down the middle of the roads. There are hardly any cars now, and our neighborhood has a community bike system of salvaged and repaired bikes, painted yellow and available to anyone, unquote. This piece also introduces RebelNet. Quote, RebelNet is a decentralized disorganization of rabble-rousers and rogues. There, is no, there are no leaders, no one is in charge, and no one has any idea what the next person is up to. And if that sounds like total anarchy, that's because it is. One of the most important things about RebelNet is that it exists in real life, not just on the screens of your social media. Form connections with sentient beings in your local area. Start RebelNet, affinity and mutual aid groups. Perhaps they are one and the same. Use those groups for discussion, skill swaps, and workshops. Organize direct actions and film nights. Start really free markets and community gardens. Use technology, but remember it is just a tool. The real magic happens IRL, not in URLs." Unquote. St. Louis, anarchists visit CEO's home in solidarity with wildcat strikers in Mexico, from Anon. Quote, on April 30th, we visited the mansion of David Webster, CEO of St. Louis-based Electrical Components International. Here is the message sent to striking ECI factory workers in Juarez, Mexico, followed by the letter handed to the CEO's son outside the mansion. Hello, friends. We read of your tragedies and your struggles in the ECI Maculadora of Juarez. Because we could not magically create an overnight strike wave here in St. Louis, we instead decided to express our solidarity with a visit to the home of ECI CEO David Webster. <clears throat> Originally, we planned to sneak into his $3 million mansion, steal his $400,000 wine collection, and send it to all of you in Juarez. But we got scared. Instead, we chose to tell him we know where he sleeps, 7 Somerset Downs Drive, Lade, Missouri, 63124 USA, and deliver a letter and take this photo for you all. Neither the company, nor the state, nor the unions can save us. We take care of each other. Solidarity across borders. 10,000% pay. No work. Bosses are the real virus. One day we will drink their wine together." Unquote. After this is the letter to the CEO. Drink the wine of the exploiters, for those who like that sort of thing. Audio and video. Anarchist resistance in prison. Jennifer A. Rose and Comrade Z. 35 minutes from the final straw. The first of two TFS episodes posted this week, this is a narrated version of correspondence between Final Straw and two anarchist prisoners, Jennifer Rose and Comrade Z. Although horrors are always to be expected in prison life, hearing firsthand accounts of systemic fuckery still manages to rattle one's heart, even through the mediation of a narrator. Although I often poke at Final Straw on this podcast, their efforts at connecting and supporting anarchist prisoners are beyond commendable. Barry Payton on Anarchist History and Challenges, an hour and 43 minutes, also from The Final Straw. Part two of the TFS block this week is an interview with anarchist and historian Barry Payton. For those of you who watched that dreadful PBS documentary on Emma Goldman, you'll probably recognize the mutton-chopped Barry as the only bright spot from that program. 
Although he definitely takes a leftist lean that I don't particularly care for, a warmth and open-mindedness definitely shines through during this interview, with Barry driving home the point that only looking to speak with people who already think like you is in fact a weakness of contemporary anarchism and not a strength. He also points out, similar to his oh-so-brief segment in the Emma Doc, that those people who live within anarchist history were in fact real people, people who were cranky, sometimes mean, perhaps contradictory, and that these qualities should make our view of anarchist history richer rather than creating figures for exclusion. Messy but beautiful, Cindy Milstein. An hour and 24 minutes from Coffee with Comrades. All right, I don't know why anarchist podcasts all seem to be breaching the one-hour mark these days, but I am anti-that. Anyway... This is a conversation with Cindy Milstein, focusing on her recent AK Press book, Deciding for Ourselves the Promise of Direct Democracy. Cindy's insistence on using the word democracy in a positive light is, I think, fairly indicative of their project as a whole, namely promoting the concept that, you know, nice things are nice. However, even with that said, I find myself not totally repelled by this interview for a few reasons. Number one is that despite having annoying politics, Cindy is someone who has obviously put a lot of time and commitment into thinking and writing about what it means to be an anarchist. As someone interested in writing and anarchism, finding sources of knowledge in these areas is attractive to me, perhaps even more so when they come from people I completely disagree with, people who force me to think through my disagreements and perhaps strengthen my beliefs generally. Okay, well, maybe I only had that one point. Ram Philly and Afrofuturist Abolitionists of the Americas, an hour and 45 minutes from Soulcast. This interview with Black Radicals from around the U.S. is a bit disorienting on a number of levels, not the least of which is watching, or listening, to Soul navigating their hip-hop whiteness throughout the conversation. That conversation largely focuses on the titular groups and their expression of the, quote, anarchotic turn, unquote, in Black Radicalism. There's a bit of language policing right at the top of this episode around that term, as it is apparently a slur that people are using to describe a certain trajectory in Black anarchism slash radicalism. Creating a title for your politics that immediately becomes an identity-based weapon is definitely interesting, but I think this speaks more to the activist nature of the folks interviewed than much else. Anyway, beyond some fairly typical activist slash identity points, this interview is an interesting opportunity to see the ways in which young anarchists are working to modify the definition of anarchism, the history of the term, and the general lineage of those who we see as anarchists. And it's fun to hear soul squirm. (laughs) Stories of a Russian skinhead, 18 minutes from Matan BM. This is what it sounds like. An interview with a Russian anarchist skinhead called Sokrat concerning their experience with anarchism and the Russian prison system. Although the interviewee is solidly anarcho-communist, having someone speak with a wealth of knowledge and experience on the topic of contemporary Russian anarchism is a rare treat for us in the U.S. and definitely worthwhile. A Radio Bad News, Angry Voices from Around the World, Episode 33, April 2020, an hour and 18 minutes from A Radio Berlin. This batch of stories from Bad News focuses solely on international reactions to COVID-19, including a super awesome segment from Sean Swain, which you would be remiss to miss. When listening to this podcast, I'm often struck wondering what audience it appeals to with its small bite smattering of international anarchist stories. I'm definitely pro-learning from people in different places than myself, but I'm not exactly sure that I get a learning experience from this. Anarchy Radio, April 28, 2020, always an hour from Anarchy Radio. So, for some reason, John Zerzan has deemed Anarchist News once again worthy to receive episodes of Anarchy Radio. As he's given us no context for this decision, I can only imagine that he's finally come around to seeing the wisdom of random violence and pedophiles. Prove me wrong! More of the same here. Non-anarchist media isn't anarchist enough. We all know what the problem is. 
sieve keeps on sieving. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. What's new is written by Jackie and Greg and read by Chisel and Greg. No editorial this week. To learn more, anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackheart.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up-to-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chat room, linked on the news. Oh, boys,